any acute high stress, cold exposure, you know, for me, jujitsu, it changes the way you breathe. So in order for you to, to sort of like reap or, or receive the benefits from a cold practice, you have to slow your breathing down. You have to calm your breathing down. Welcome back to another episode of Everyday Endorphins. This week, I am thrilled to have Avi Greenberg come onto the podcast to talk all about everything related to the power of breathwork, his own experience taking psychedelics, his health and wellness journey, what he's doing now as a corporate wellness advisor and certified Wim Hof instructor, and more. In this interview, we really get into Avi's own health journey. So what prompted him to go to Peru and do a psychedelic trip with ayahuasca, how he prepared himself for that physically, emotionally, mentally, and then eventually how he became really passionate about Wim Hof and what the Wim Hof method is, the power of submerging yourself into the cold, how we can regulate our breath, and the way that our breath can actually impact our own physical, mental, and emotional health. Avi has a really interesting story and lots of incredible pieces of wisdom to share, so I'm super excited for you guys to hear this interview. Before we get into it, I have a brief message from my sponsor, Anchor. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, Avi. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Stella. It feels like just yesterday. I mean, it wasn't that long ago when uh, Gigi and I got to do that amazing breathwork session with you. We did it at eight in the morning and it eight in the morning Eastern time. You were up at like <laughs> 6 a.m. 6 a.m. <laughs> Talk about the early bird catching the worm. But, you know, it was a, such an amazing way to start my day. And I felt so refreshed going into work later that morning at like nine. I had felt so calm and composed and it was just an amazing opportunity to get to do that session with you. I was really thrilled when Gigi said she was bringing a friend in. And then when we met in the session and we had a chance to talk, I was excited just to 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 have someone that had some experience with pranayama, obviously the yoga background coming into it um, helps. It's a, it's a nice foundation. And then to do a conscious breathwork session, you know, um, for me, that's, that's my practice. So that's what I teach, but I have also a background with yoga and yeah, it's just, it's cool dynamic. Um, I think starting your day with breathwork or pranayama or yoga practice, I think it just sets the tone for the rest of the day. So, I love doing the sessions with Gigi first and foremost, but then when she brings a friend like you to come on is 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 always an honor for me to to share the practice that I love that that sort of changed my life with others that are exploring wellness in, in different modalities. Yeah, let's get into that. So how did you develop a passion for breathwork, meditation? How did the practice of breathwork change your life and alter your perspective on health and wellness? Yeah, I started about six years ago living in miami beach at the time i was in a in a full-on rut um i read somewhere that you you most people deal with like six or seven bouts of depression in their lives i was definitely within one of my bouts you know maybe more maybe less than six or seven but uh i was definitely struggling and i found this vice doc similar to a lot of people on wim hof i thought you know what this guy's onto something. Uh, and I didn't really do much with it at the time when I first saw it. But then I um, I decided I was actually going to go to Peru to the Amazon to sit with ayahuasca or to, to have an experience with ayahuasca. And uh, through my therapist, you know, we were talking about it. And my therapist didn't say, hey, I've done ayahuasca, you should do it too. My therapist actually was someone who had done Vipassana. And he found Vipassana at a time when he needed it. And I think he knew I had something inside of me that that needed more than what I was going through um, and what I was dealing with. So when I told him that I was interested in ayahuasca, he said, well, you should do some research on it and find the right place. And if it speaks to you and it's the thing to do, then, then do it. And 
I did find the place. I read a book called The Test Pilot's Guide to Ayahuasca, a handbook. And within that handbook, there was a, there was a retreat center in the Amazon uh, in Peru that that resonated with me just kind of the way they described it. Then I did some research online. I like went on these Reddit pages and I started doing digging, digging, digging. And then finally I got the courage to reach out to the facility. And I spoke to someone at the facility and they said, all right, you know, like you're going to need to get your, your act together before you come to the jungle. You can't come here and expect that this plant is going to heal you. Like you can't come here and be a wreck. You have to be... Well, you need to be like in that right headspace I heard before doing psychedelics. Like you need to have the right set and setting. So the right mindset and the right setting, you know, environment in which you're going to engage with those drugs. I mean, Michael Pollan obviously writes a lot about psychedelics and there's a lot of research now, especially on the benefits of of microdosing with psychedelics to help with chronic depression, anxiety. And so... Basically, your therapist had suggested, like, look into this. This could be of use to you. And you did a lot of research. You researched a lot. And then before the facility took you in, they were like, you actually have to get your head a bit more straight to to feel like you can get those benefits. So what took you to the next step? Like, how did you actually begin to work on yourself and then decide, okay, I'm now ready to actually do this ayahuasca trip in Peru. So they told me I needed a breathwork practice. They said, you need to get a meditation or a breathwork practice. And I tried to meditate for years and different times. And I never, they always say like, you know, your mind will quiet or, or your mind might not quiet. And it never happened for me. I was always feeling like nothing would slow down. I remember watching this Wim Hof Vice doc and I said, you know what? I'm going to try that breathing method because that seems pretty intense and I'm an intense guy. And maybe this, this ice man, his, his breathing method might, might work for me. And if I can do that and I can do the cold, I'll be ready for Peru. So I wanted something drastic and I downloaded the app. And, um, at the time you had to pay for the app and it was pretty basic. They just had Wim Hof in a video saying, breathe in, breathe out, like, let it go faster, move the air, you know, and all his hooing and hawing. And, and, uh, I downloaded the app and I started doing it every day. I woke up in the morning cause I was really scared to go to the jungle and try this medicine. And I knew I was messed up and I knew I needed help to kind of get my life on the right path. So I said, that's it. I'm going to do this exercise this this breath work every day, not knowing if I should use my nose or my mouth. I just breathe through my mouth because my nose was chronically congested. And I started there and I just literally would force myself out of bed in my sunny Miami beach apartment, you know, facing East, facing towards the ocean, you know, the sunrise right in my living room. And I'd lie on my couch and I'd basically hyperventilate because I didn't know the difference. And I just... And then something would happen, Stella, within the breath holes, which maybe you felt in our session with Gigi, I would feel a sense of tranquility, peace, and euphoria within those extended breath holds. And I knew something was shifting there. And I didn't know the science behind the method at the time. I didn't know physiologically what was happening, you know, the chemistry of my blood. I knew nothing. I just knew something in my brain, the tension and 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 the, the stress that I was holding on to, something was releasing there. And then I would take that first breath back in. I, I think of it almost like as your recovery breath after that long hold. And then I felt an even deeper sense of calm and peace in those moments. And I would do three rounds every day. I found a health club in Miami, the standard uh, in Miami Beach. The standard in Miami Beach had a hammam with a sauna, uh, steam and a cold plunge by the pool. Uh, and I started going every day and I forced myself to go every day and I had no idea how to do the cold. The app never told you how you handle the cold. So I went in and the first five times I got in, freaked out and got out. So was this for like a month? Like how long did you prepare yourself before you went to Peru? So I agreed. I said I was going to go. I had the call with the center in August and I'll never forget. And this was, this was the shape I was in. I was overweight. I was smoking cigarettes at the time. And I remember being on the phone with him smoking a cigarette. My leg was trembling, you know, from fear and anxiety and stress. And it was in August that I said I was going to go. In September, I put my deposit and the trip was booked for end of January, the last four or five days of January into February. And it was five ceremonies and six nights ending in January, starting in February. So I gave myself basically 
was that four four or five months ramp up time to get ready so September, I started the breath protocols. October, I joined the standard. I started doing the cold training in October. Um, basically, October, November, December. I, December, I started to feel better. December, I felt like the shift had taken place. I changed my diet um, based on what I had read in the book. So I, I cut out all pork, all red meat. I stopped eating sugar. And I mean, when I say I stopped eating sugar, I didn't even eat fruit for like two months. Wow. I mean, that yeah, sugar is everywhere. I mean, there's the debate like, you know, natural sugar, that's a quite restrictive diet and that's quite intense. And if it, you know, if it worked for you, that's awesome. But I'm sure like you kind of had to go all or nothing at that point. Like it was a big shift. That's how I kind of am. I was going all or nothing. Uh, there's also, you know, you're supposed to go celibate. So I was, you know, at the time my, my wife and I were long distance, we weren't married. We were just dating in our first year. We, you know, I told her, you know, when I see you, nothing. So we were completely celibate for, well, for that period of time. Um, also, you know, they, I had, I'd, I'd had, I had an addiction to marijuana too. So I, I, that was really the big sort of like the big sort of boulder I was holding on to is this 20 plus year addiction to marijuana. So I had to stop that. And that was hard for me because I had not given that up at any point in time in my adult life from high school. You know, that's interesting you you bring that up because the things that we like latch onto that we're like addicted to or we're just constantly craving all the time, it I think it's more as like an escapism. So maybe beyond like beneath the addiction, there was probably something there. I don't want to speak for you because I don't fully know the experience, but I can imagine that maybe there was something beneath that that was kind of fueling that desire to keep smoking, either cigarettes, marijuana, whatever it was. And yeah. An escape, it was right? An escape. And so it's kind of like Completely. maybe through this breath work and the intense meditations and the change of diet and really just trying to like turn your life around, you were in a way addressing those those subtleties that were the basically like the foundation to why you were engaging in those behaviors that were ultimately kind of self-destructive. So you're it's it's kind of like the self-healing process that you went through. Yeah. And I had to basically confront that escape that escapism, that, that numbing, that sort of like disconnection with reality to numb myself. I wasn't just numbing myself with the marijuana. I was numbing myself with food. I was numbing myself on my couch, watching TV every night, stoned like this black, I considered it like a black hole. Like I would basically, and I was productive. Like I had really good jobs. I, I was successful at my jobs. I'd come home from work and all I wanted to do is disconnect and, 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 and shut down that part of my brain and basically disconnect with the TV, with pot, and just completely wash away whatever sort of emotional trauma I was trying to avoid. And the breathing, the breath work, the cold, it forces you to sort of confront that part of your life. And you have to kind of sit with that and, and observe it and be aware of it. And just like, all right, there's definitely something you're avoiding here. What are you avoiding? And I had to work on myself for those three, four months leading to Peru because that stuff was going to come to a head in the in the jungle. Like whether or not I wanted to deal with it, it was going to be something I had to confront in the jungle. So I confronted it for the three to four months leading up to it. And it put me in the right mindset and the right mental, emotional, physical place to go to the jungle and sit with it and process it and be able to sort of acknowledge what I was avoiding and why I was avoiding it. And, um, I was ready, you know, I actually, I actually got myself into one of the best shapes of my life. You know, I, I was working for an anti-aging medical practice at the time, oddly enough, and was able to measure my body fat composition. I was me measuring my skeletal muscle mat. I was doing uh, blood work regularly, like every three, four weeks, looking at my hormone panel, my testosterone, my estrogen, my cortisol, all these levels and these biomarkers that were kind of subpar before this journey started, all moved to this very normal, like above normal levels. And, and a lot of the doctors said you couldn't do these things naturally. They were trying to kind of push their hormone protocols on, on clients and patients. And I said I was going natural. I wasn't going to take any of their protocols. I was going to figure this out. And I was strict with the cold. I was doing 20-minute cold plunges every day. I was doing 20 to 30-minute sauna prior to the cold and post-cold. 
and I was cleaned up my diet. I stopped all the substances. I wasn't a really big drinker, um, but I, I wasn't drinking either. My sleep changed dramatically. I went from no dreams, no deep REM sleep for I don't know how many years to full on lucid psychedelic dreams because I had stopped dreaming, you know. Sleeping is like incredibly important. It's the time where our bodies can actually restore and our brains can restore. You know, I think it's awesome that throughout that journey, you were also utilizing science as feedback, as like biofeedback to really see like the physiological changes that were occurring. And I want to get a little bit more into that. But before I ask a question on that, I find it so ironic how you mentioned that at the time you were really successful in your job and you liked your job and you were like accomplishing all these things. But at the end of the day, all you wanted to do was go home, disconnect and engage in those vices. Like we, you needed that escapism. And it's kind of like the sad irony because it kind of it goes to show that no matter how, quote unquote, successful someone may look on the outside, that can't necessarily dictate how you feel on the inside no. or really like other things that are going on. So, you know, you may seem as if you have it all together, but behind closed doors, like even if you have the desirable job and you're living in the desirable city and you're with the desirable person, like even if you feel like you're checking off all those boxes, you could still be like wrecked on the inside, which is heartbreaking to think about. Yeah. And I think a lot of people struggle with that. And quick correction there. I was good at my job. I actually did not. I didn't like my job. And I didn't like, and we talked about this separately on a call. Like I, most of my jobs, I didn't like, I maybe liked in the first six months, first, you know, maybe not even a year, like most of the time was like first four or five months. And then I would always eventually become disillusioned with them. And I always felt like I was not living up to my full potential. And that was part of part of going to Peru was to figure out like that was kind of like they give they tell you to 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 come with sort of a intention. And my intention was one to heal myself, but then two, to also figure out what my purpose was like, what am I supposed to be doing? Because no matter what job I take, whether I'm chasing the six, seven figure salary, or I'm chasing the accolades at work or the president's club or this or that, like it never filled me up. And it never felt like this is what you're supposed to be doing. And until I've done, you know, and I've had some fun jobs, like I've had some really cool experiences. I mean, I started a, a fashion line with, with, with my sister and we had really great success selling to like really big stores like Neiman Marcus, Urban Outfitters, had celebrities wearing our clothes. You know, I helped start, you know, uh, a Miami office for this anti-aging medical practice. I worked in in other startups in the health and wellness field, you know, so I had a lot of fun jobs on the outside, like you're saying, but on the inside, it never felt like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is my purpose. This feels like I'm I'm where I'm supposed to be. And um, that's, it just kind of never resonated with me that in that deep way. It was always like I was chasing the paycheck or I was chasing the status and it never, it never sat well with me on some level. It's so valuable that you bring that up because a majority of my listeners are post-grad and like, you know, our (laughs) twenties, it's the time in which we're trying to figure all that out. And it can seem kind of scary to think that we may go through different types of jobs and different roles at different organizations that on paper seem amazing, but what if they don't actually like fulfill you or bring you that sense of purpose? You know, would you say that throughout those different experiences that you had all served some sort of purpose to ultimately lead you to realizing, okay, like I need to make a pivot or these are things I actually don't feel energized by. Let me go and figure out what does bring me that joy and those endorphins. (laughs) Totally. And also like, sometimes you need to try things out to know this isn't the right thing for me. This isn't the right relationship. This isn't the right job for me. Like you have to cross things off the list. Otherwise you'll never know. So sometimes you have to take those risks or take those jobs that you think are going to fulfill you. And once you learn that maybe it doesn't tick all the boxes or it doesn't get you excited to get up in the morning, maybe then you're like, all right, well then let's go to the next thing. And I was always good at that. Like, and I don't know if that's a skill or not, but if I wasn't in a relationship that fulfilled me or made me feel like this is the right thing or a job that did the same, or I felt like I was having a struggle to get up going in the morning, I didn't, I wasn't long for that. That wasn't, that's something I've been able to, to do well in my life is if this wasn't the right move or this wasn't the right situation, we're going to have to figure out the next way. And I was okay with starting over. And I think a lot of times people fear that that 
taking a step backwards. But I always found like if I take a step backwards now, I might take three steps forward in a year or two from now. And I, I mean, even stopping what I was doing right before this, this current thing that I'm doing now, I mean, I was working in tech. I had the six-figure job that I'd always kind of lusted after. I was in Chelsea. I was living in this great apartment. I walked to work every day. I was friends with the CEO. Like I was hitting my quota every month. I was selling to big companies like Google, Facebook, and, and I had big deals lined up down the pipe. And, and I gave it all up to, to basically do something that I didn't know if or not, whether or not it was going to be successful. I didn't know if I was going to be able to sustain making it work, you know, and, and listen, it all, I don't like everything happens for a reason. I like things happen and you adapt and you shift and you make it work. And, and if I had stayed, I would have been let go. You know, the pandemic, everyone at my company basically got let go and, and I stuck it out and I was able to land corporate clients, private clients and figure out how to make this work. And I think you touched on it earlier too. It's, the skills I'd learned throughout all the jobs that weren't the right fit still help me today. Like they're still part of who I am and what I offer today. And like the relationships I've built, the people I've spoken to, just the colleagues I've had, all those different experiences and, and things. I mean, you know, it's kind of like you, you, you become a stronger version of yourself by having a number of different skill sets and having a different ability through those different processes. It's, it's easy to get bogged down in experiences that don't make you feel good, like when you're unhappy at a certain point in your life. But I think to your point, it's so important to recognize that there's still strength in that. Like there's still good in that because it brings you to ne- like that next phase of your life. And people are very, you know, oftentimes like super risk averse. Like it's scary to take that risk and not knowing how the outcome is going to shape out. Like it's scary for me to think about taking a step back because I don't know if that's going to bring me three steps forward. And I think it's important to cultivate some sort of skills where you can like have the confidence to do that because at the end of the day, you know, you have to recognize that sometimes you do need to take a step back to progress. Like there's no other way to get forward unless you adjust in that way, which is, it's hard to remind yourself that. And it's something I'm trying to work on, but I'm so glad that you bring that up because I think, especially right now when we're going through a lot of like transitionary phases in our lives, it can feel really difficult. Like you're being pulled in one direction and the other and not knowing if you're like on that right track, but just recognizing that throughout the course of your life, like you're going to be pulled one way and another and you have to just adapt to that. So I love that you bring that up. You know, I also wanted to touch on the point that you made around like preparing yourself for this ayahuasca trip in Peru. So when you had spent like those four or five months doing all the things that you had to do around like breath work and cold baths and meditation, like really being disciplined in those let's say like non-substance oriented practices. And then when you went to Peru and you actually did this ayahuasca trip for about five days um, or like the five day experience while you were there, would you say that the actual psychedelics were maybe more powerful than the work that you were able to do pre-psychedelics? Or how did those two experiences compare in terms of like changing your physical and mental health? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's, they say often that the uh, that the ayahuasca the medicine starts to work once you agree to go like once you start and you you commit to going that's when the medicine starts to work and in my case i guess it did because the fear and that trepidation of going and getting rocked by the medicine motivated me to get my act together and i think there was actually a point it was the night before i was going to fly to peru and i was going alone like i my partner wasn't going to come with me i didn't even ask any friends or any family like i was going alone And, um, I remember the night before I was going to fly out, I went to the standard my last night doing the cold and the hot. And I was with my buddy, Jim, and he, he, he was like my, my, you know, my big support other than my partner during that whole process. And we run into this, this yoga instructor who, and he tells the yoga instructor, Oh, my friend Avi is going to go to Peru. Da, 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 da. He goes, Oh, well be careful. And he like put his hand on my chest. You know, it can be very dangerous. Kind of like got in my head a little bit with it. And I remember that night and I'd been sleeping amazing, like the best nights of sleep I'd ever have. I remember waking up the night before the flight in the middle of the night, which I hadn't done in, in months. I'd sleep sleeping the whole night through every night. And all of a sudden I wake up in the middle of the night and I think to myself, oh my God, you're going to be in the jungle in two days drinking this medicine 
alone. Like, what are you nuts? Like all of a sudden, like, cause I was like, so di- I was like Rocky mode, like Rocky four training in the mountains, like so mentally, physically prepared. I was like, I was like shredded up. I was like in really good shape. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, just go to Poland and go meet women. Like, cause I was all in on the Wim Hof method at that point. It changed my life. So I was like, maybe I should just cancel this Peru thing and go to Poland and do the Wim Hof like mountain climb thing. Anyway, I decided to go. And honestly, the finite experiences in the ceremony are just part of the healing. The healing starts before you go and you're doing the prep. The healing is obviously during the ceremonies. And there was a lot of breakthroughs for me there. But afterwards is when, to me, the real healing and work happens. I was journaling every day. I stayed with my practices, my breathing practices. I stayed with my cold and my heat practices. I kept my diets going and I just continued to heal. And I continue to have, like, I had a big emotional block. Like, I wouldn't let myself cry for all those years of of numbing. And I just kind of forced this, like, lodged ball down my throat just to block that, like, cry from coming out. And when I came back, I just, I would weep, like, at different things, like, in movies, reading back my journal, talking to my therapist, talking to my partner. I would just, like, lose it. And it was, like, years and years of holding back tears they, they came and they were, they needed to continue to come because I had like not allowed myself that emotion. I had forced myself from, you know, childhood stuff and, and divorced parents and the whole deal to like not go there. And that healing needed to happen afterwards too. So it happened before, during, and after, and it continues to happen. And I actually told myself when I got back, well, you're going to go every year back to the jungle and you're going to do this reset for yourself. And I haven't been back in six years. You know, I wish I could go back. I wish I actually, this is the first, I'd say maybe it's like the pandemic or becoming a new father. I've had the urge to go back recently for the first time in like five years. It's something that I feel like you can't do regularly because it's so intense, but I can imagine like after having that kind of experience, craving that at another point in your life. Yeah. A reset, like a total deep dive, like an audit of who you are at your core and what you're doing and what your purpose is and where you're going with it and how your relationships, because there was a lot of purging that happens and everyone thinks the purge, especially like our Western sort of modern minds, like, oh, well, did you, did you throw up? Did you do this? No, honestly, the purge is like a lot of other things. It's a lot of things that you don't think about. And when you come back, you purge, like you, you find relationships that don't work for you and you you cut them out and you say, you know what, this person's kind of been like an energy vampire from, from me, an emotional vampire. Like we're not doing this anymore. (laughs) You stop. I love that term. It's true. An an emotional vampire. I mean, yeah, people can really suck the life out of you. And it's, you know, it's interesting, like so much in our lives, we don't like bring attention to. And when we just bury it subconsciously, like the minute you can unlock that, it's like the floodgates are open. I mean, I have not done anything remotely like an ayahuasca experience, but I did go get my yoga certification last summer and I thought it was going to be an experience where like I would just learn how to teach yoga. I thought it was going to be very practical. And yes, there was definitely that element to it. But something I did not expect was like the amount of emotional baggage I had like released that I didn't even know I had. And that was crazy. Like that was freaky for me to even think about. Like how much stuff I had kind of just like swept under the rug without even thinking about. And then like, you know, we would do certain yoga poses or we would, you know, do these like long yoga classes every day. And through like holding a posture and like linking breath with movement and that, you know, as I really developed that yoga practice, sometimes I would just like tear up, like <laughs> maybe this sounds kind of crazy, but like, you know, yeah. we, we learn about how no. emotions are stored in our bodies. And then it, once you really experience that, totally. you recognize like, wow, like we just the, the way in which we like carry ourselves too, like our mannerisms, the way that we walk, the way we carry ourselves, our posture, especially our posture, just the way that you present yourself is this like blueprint kind of of things that are invisible that just kind of create your story that you don't even recognize are there and so i can i can totally get yeah what you're saying there's a lot of physical patterns between like people that have like it's called dorsal vagal where they have this like bump in the back of their neck and they kind of like inch forward and it's like this emotional 
trauma that they carry in their body. And I mean, the amount of people that have lower back pain and, you know, there's a book called the mind body prescription by Dr. John Sarno. And it's like all and the body keeps score. There's a lot of literature out there. And, you know, my, my yoga teacher, my, like my one true love yoga teacher, Paolo Hudson, who's based in New York, he talked, he would tell me about these yoga retreats that, you know, similar to what you're saying, where people would go and they would sit in, in Ekapada Rajakarpatasana and pigeon pose and just ball and just lose it. Yeah. Cause the hips literally when you're like in yeah, pigeon pose, the hips, the psoas, all of it totally. And, and I knew he wanted me to do like, he would, we would, we would always joke about that position. And I said the like traditional name, like in honor of him, cause he always, he just has the most beautiful voice and, and pronunciation and he would say it. And I like, there'd be times where like he would, I know he knows I was holding emotions like the purge that i had i needed more like i still that's why probably the craving to go back but our bodies carry a lot and um there are definitely ways to release it through plant medicine movement breath work uh even in new york when i was living there i would take a class uh, i took it once um at the new york dance company called gaga it's a movement class where basically it's this um this class where you just move in like these emotional ways and you kind of like re- people release in the class because you're, you're allowing your body to move in ways that are primal and that are instinctual. And, and it's just, it's just free form dance class, you know, in breath work too. I mean, I've had a lot of people over the years really lose it and let go in those breathing sessions. I recently did a big workshop in, in Mexico for these CEOs from Guadalajara and, and it was 63 CEOs, for this YPO chapter and YPO's Young Presidents Organization, it's pretty much like the heavy hitters within a, a, a city. And Guadalajara is, you know, a lot of heavy hitters, 63 of them. And it was two women there, two women, the rest men. And this one woman during the breathing, we had a sound healer doing sound and I was leading the breathing. This <clears throat> one of these CEOs went really deep and I could tell I was guiding them in the breathing come on in, let's keep it going, move, move the air through you. And she just kept breathing harder and harder and harder. And she just popped. And it was like a waterfall. She could not stop crying for 20, 20, 25, 30 minutes. And it was just, I mean, it was a huge release and she was caring a lot. And, um, you know, luckily there was a really good sound healer there. This woman, Alessandra, who came to help me, Uh, And she held her and she just held her and consoled her for another 20 minutes after because all the men wanted to jump into the ice baths right after the breathing. And, you know, it's hard to kind of manage 63 people at that time. So she just held her and consoled her. But that that kind of emotional release happens often in breath work because you go to that state. I think that just shows the power of the breath and like when you actually bring your attention to it, what it can do for you. And so. Going off of that, I know earlier you spoke about how you're, you know, Wim Hof instructor, and at that time you were really following the Wim Hof method. So, for my listeners who maybe aren't familiar with who Wim Hof is, can you give a little bit of an overview of who Wim Hof is, like what the method is, and what that t- specific type of breathwork looks like? Wim Hof, he's Dutch. He's from the Netherlands. Um, he basically has sort of popularized a ancient practice of tumo breathing. So it's a, it's a advanced style of breathing where you, you breathe in a hard and fast way, either through the nose or through the mouth. So if you're new to the practice, you should breathe through the nose and basically you're upregulating your breathing. So you're breathing in a high, fast way. And within those breathing exercises, you get into these deep sort of psychedelic or trance-like states, but also something happens to your body's bio, bio, uh, biochemistry, where you're getting an increase of red blood cells, you're increasing your adrenaline, you're increasing your cortisol, so your body's getting into this sort of ramped up state. And then on the back end of that sort of hyperventilation, you go into these deep, long breath holds. And in those breath holds, your body relaxes, the body temperature changes, heart rate changes, blood saturation of oxygen in your lungs changes. Basically, your body just kind of goes into this kind of really deeply interesting state And Wim Hof popularized the method because he started breaking world records. So this breathing technique, he modernized, but then he also brought in the cold 
So he started doing these feats like swimming under 80 meters of frozen ice water till his retina froze. He climbed Mount Kilimanjaro in record time in his shorts with no aid of, you know, oxygen. He ran a marathon through the desert with no water. I don't know how someone can do that. Like, I just, I don't know if that's healthy for you. I mean, he's clearly alive and is fine, but. He's alive. I mean, he's alive. He's alive. It's not necessarily, I don't know that it's healthy long-term. I think to get the notoriety that he's gotten and to get the scientists interested to study him and to perform tests that have popularized the method, that was helpful. Maybe he has done some some damage in some places. Like I know when he ran barefoot through the snow, you know, he got really bad frostbite and almost had to lose his foot. You know, like I said, he froze he froze his retina swimming under ice frozen water. There's a safe way to do these practices. And I think a lot of people get into these practices seeing the extreme stunts and the, you know, for example, also the endotoxin study out of the Radboud Institute in the Netherlands. They injected Wim Hof with variation of the E. coli virus, and he was able to utilize the breathing technique that upregulated breathing to suppress his his basically basically sickness within his body. So he used this breathing to boost his adrenaline, to boost his cortisol, and to create this immune response that stopped him from getting sick. Then he trained other people to do the same thing because they thought maybe he was an anomaly. So that really put him on the map. The Guinness Book of World Records feats put him on the map. His kids are the reason why he has this following because they are the ones that run the business. Wim Hof is like, you know, in a lot of ways, kind of like a child and, and has a phone that's cracked and he doesn't do his own social media. Like, I'm not trying to like let him let let the secret out of the bag. If anyone's ever hung out with Wim, he's like a kid. Like he's doesn't, he's not in it for notoriety or or for money. He wears the same t-shirt for a week. And when it gets dirty and he spills like, you know, chocolate ice cream on it, he flips it inside out. He's very low maintenance, clearly. He's very low maintenance. You know, I had a friend who got certified the year before I did and told me he didn't even have a wallet. He just carried like everything in an envelope. Like he just, he's just not, he's not of like the modern world. Right. He's He's on a whole other level. And he's got no, no filter. He just kind of operates in this other place. And I think that's, I think that's the draw. I think that's why people really gravitate towards him because they see this euphoric energy that has no inhibitions, no fear, no worry of social pressures or cues. I mean, his kids told me that they used to get made fun of because his, they had the crazy dad who'd show up to pick him up in like, you know, barefoot, you know, at school, you know, in the winter time. So like it didn't, it, it wasn't cool until it became cool for them. You know, like it was probably a hindrance. And then all of a sudden it became the thing or the trend. And people started to see like the value of, of what he was preaching. And, you know, if I'm understanding it correctly, you're putting yourself in this like hyperventilative state through those intense, like quick inhales, exhales, but then you do the breath holds. And so you're countering that in a way, which I find interesting because when you're inducing like an and hyperventilation through your breathing, that causes anxiety and stress. But then when you're holding your breath, you're like actually in some sort of a euphoric state. I know earlier you mentioned that when you do the breath holds, you feel the sense of calmness and peace. And when I did the breath work with you a few weeks ago, at first it was kind of like I was panicking. I was like, am I going to like, I felt like I was drowning or I, I hadn't held my breath for that long really ever. And it was stressful and scary. And I started to feel a little lightheaded, but then as we did more of the practice, it actually felt really calming. And then I was like, oh, I can actually hold my breath for longer than I thought I could. And I think once you hit that, then those effects start to kick in where it's really meditative, like when you're doing those breath holds. So what happens, you know, and, and specifically to you when you're doing the breathing and we, you know, when I, when I do these zoom sessions or I work with people one-on-one, we almost never hyperventilate because it is scary. It is dangerous in some sense for, for certain people to do that. And I used to do it and I used to hate it. I used to hate like, like that's how I used to do it. Cause that's what I thought was right. But 
I've learned since studying other breath practitioners and, and reading other literature, like the oxygen advantage, or, you know, a lot of stuff from, from Brian McKenzie and, and a lot of the other people out there that are, that are really knowledgeable within this field is you have to be calm and gentle with your breathing. You have to be slow with your breathing. So when we do, we did with Gigi, we start slow. We do do breath holds at the beginning to help you connect to your CO2 tolerance. So when you breathe in, you breathe in oxygen your lungs convert that oxygen to CO2. It's called the Bohr effect. When you exhale, you're releasing carbon dioxide, which is CO2. CO2 is your stimulus to breathe. So CO2 is the reason that we breathe 23, 25,000 times per day. You can go minutes without breathing oxygen. It's fine. Your body can do that for a little bit. CO2, on the other hand, is something that's saying breathe, 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 breathe all day long. So for example, if you wanted to test this, you could take a big breath in. You can hold your breath. And when you start to get uncomfortable, you could release just a little bit of air or CO2 and you can continue to hold your breath. So that shows you that your body's trying to get rid of that CO2 in order to, to be comfortable to breathe. So with that in mind, CO2 being your stimulus to breathe, when you do Wim Hof breathing, what you are doing in essence is you are dumping CO2. You're releasing CO2 at a fast or slow rate, but you're releasing CO2. So you're going and you're getting rid of that CO2. Your body's becoming more alkaline in that state because CO2 is acidic. Oxygen is more alkaline. So you're becoming more alkaline because you're releasing the CO2. Your pH balance is moving up. And then you can hold your breath for longer because you have a CO2 deficiency because there's less CO2 in your system. Your body's not getting that stimulus or that notification to breathe because there's no CO2 in there. So your body wants to breathe based off of CO2 in it. So by doing the prep breathing, the in, out, in, out, in, out, I'm basically releasing all this CO2 and putting my body into this very sort of alkaline state. Whether you do it fast or slow, you can still go to that state and then you can go into a deep, long breath hold, which then will induce the mammalian dive reflex, which calms your body down. So the mammalian dive reflex is when you hold your breath, your heart rate starts to slow down because your body goes into this kind of deeply calm state. Um, I'm leading a retreat in March for freediving, and I'm not a freediver, but I we've, we're working with... Uh, you know, professional freedivers, marine biologists that are going to take us to these cenotes in Mexico. And the first thing you learn with freediving is CO2 is good for you because CO2 is telling you to get your head above water and go back up to the surface and breathe. You do not want to have a CO2 deficiency in the water. Likewise, with the Wim Hof method, you do not want to do Wim Hof breathing in the cold because you need CO2 to tell you to keep your head above water and not have an episode or pass out in the water because you can get lightheaded. So the breathing in Wim Hof method and the cold exposure with water are two completely separate sides of the method. The breathing is supposedly done to prep your body to go into the cold later on. You don't do them both simultaneously. You separate them. And there's a third pillar in the Wim Hof method. So it's the breathing, it's the cold exposure, and then it's mindset. And the mindset is kind of like the part that everyone doesn't really think about because you can't really show mindset on like social media. But mindset is actually probably like the secret sauce, if you want to call it that, because mindset's the thing that tells you to do the breathing, tells you to get into the cold and calm yourself down. It's just the kind of like the way you carry yourself with the cold, with the breathing. Wim Hof breathing is this way to sort of create an alert state in your body, but it also creates a very calm state. So in a lot of ways, you could think of it like flow state, um, which is this marriage or mixture of parasympathetic and sympathetic. So, you know, a lot of the CEO types, the professional athletes that I work with, they love flow state because it's like this dialed in, focused, hyper-focused, but calm state where you can get a lot done, you're creative and you're in the zone and you're- It's like things are just kind of flowing naturally and it's you're, you're achieving that optimal level of- Exactly. Uh, you know, of, of output because you're- you're being challenged like right at the amount that you need to kind of push you to get things done. But then the challenge isn't overbearing where you like can't achieve flow. So it's just enough of that push. And then once you're there, 
everything kind of aligns. Like I think a lot of musicians also experience that. Creatives love it. Yeah, exactly. I used to play the violin. I played it for over 10 years and I hated practicing because I hated being told what to do. But when I actually sat down to practice the violin and there would be times where I would just, it felt like I wasn't even thinking about where the notes were. Just I, I just kind of knew where to go with the music. And those were like flow-like states for me. I don't even think I understood that when I was like 11, but that's what it was. It's a very intuitive state because you don't, you don't understand. And a lot of people like they don't get it until they maybe read a book like, you know, stealing fire and, and, and doing things like, you know, like, for example, I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu. That's flow state. Like you're in this sympathetic state of like fight and you're alert and you're like, you're dialed in, but you're also like breathing and focused and you're trying to like, problem solve at this very high level and um you don't always get into it or but breathing the the breathing can put you into that state where you all of a sudden you're like you're breathing hard or fast or slow or calm and you just started getting to this really calm mellow state and the the ideas start to circulate you get to this creative spaces and you're right creatives love that i mean i've worked with a lot of chefs uh musicians you know fashion designers and it's a very unique state it's not sustainable for long periods of time it's sustainable for a certain finite period and then you kind of have to recharge you have to reset and then you kind of can go back into it you know that's why the breathing i think is is a really fun and accessible way to get into flow state because you can do that in the morning or at night or i mean morning's probably best so that way you can activate it and stay in that mode for a little while right and like start your day off in that better headspace because i often find that the way i start my day is like how i feel like i'll end the day like if i start the day off on a good note and i feel composed and calm then i can more effectively conquer the day and I feel better throughout the day. So I would agree like doing these practices in the morning are probably more optimal. And maybe it doesn't have to be something as intense as Wim Hof. Like maybe there are other breath work exercises that people can do. So, you know, my question to you here is like, how can someone who is very much a novice get into breath work in a way that's sustainable and in a way that they'll actually reap the benefits, like physiologically, also mentally, emotionally, like holistically getting those benefits out of breath work. If someone's going to do it on their own and they're just going to try to access it on a day-to-day basis, I think finding a rate that's calming and soothing for the nervous system that slows you down. Um, So, you know, I always recommend something that gets people to six breath cycles per minute. So six inhales, six exhales per minute. It's a five second inhale, five second exhale. It's probably the breath exercise or cadence that gets the most notoriety in terms of the science that supports daily breath work or meditation because it's it's just, it's where the body gets into its natural rhythm. It's good for the mind. You know, we talked about with sleep, how sleep is resetting the brain. I mean, that cadence can do the same thing. I use it to go to sleep at night. Some days when I have five in between a meeting, I'll try to breathe in that five in, five out, in for four, out for six, you know, same idea. So that to me is like the low hanging fruit exercise that that can really jumpstart someone. And for a lot of people, they might find it's hard to get a five second inhale in because their breathing is shallow and it's constricted and they're, they're breathing a lot faster than they realize. So, you know, it's always helpful, I think, when you're starting a practice, if you can find a guide or someone to help you just work through the initial steps of it just to get comfortable with the practice. Wim Hof has been like the tip of the spear for a lot of people to get into breathwork because his notoriety, his popularity. I mean, they just announced this weekend on social media that he's going to have a movie coming out with the actor from The Handmaiden's Tale. Uh, I forget his name. Joseph Fiennes. Oh my God. I'm going to have to see this. I'm going to have to see this. It's probably just because I feel like you can learn more about his story and then also kind of see in practice the benefits of breathwork. He's got a great Vice video too. That's what got me started. I mean, if if, if people are looking for it, and the, the app, the app got a lot of instructors like me started. So that's a that's a really fun way, I think, to get started with it. If you're someone though that tends to be more anxious and more stressed, I wouldn't recommend starting with that because that, like you said earlier, very eloquently, is a way to induce more anxiety, that fast breathing. That's why even in our session, we didn't we start slow. Like I don't ever have someone start a session and we go fast, hard right away. We start slow 
all my sessions start with a check-in. Like I like to see where the person's at for that day and how they're feeling. If, you know, if they start telling me things like <clears throat> I didn't sleep well last night, my boss or this or that, or I got a million, like I, I know we're going light and easy. You know, it's like you just have, try to read the energy of the person. Um, but then there's also days where people are like, oh, I'm feeling great. Like, you know, I'm, I'm feeling awesome. And you start to like, you know, like Gigi and I, when we started our practice together, I mean, we didn't breathe fast for the first two, three weeks until she started to slow down and feel better. And then all of a sudden we can really start to like play around and, and go deeper into the breathing sessions. That's, that's part of it too. Right. Maybe you get more comfortable with it over time. I mean, during my teacher training, we talked a lot about the importance of like belly breathing and like diaphragmatic breathing and really taking your time with those slow inhales, like through your belly, then your chest, or then your rib cage and then your chest. And then as you exhale, your chest, your rib cage and belly. And so I think as you kind of go through those practices, even like we would do alternate nostril breathing, like where you would put your thumb on your nostril and then your index right. finger on the other nostril. And you would kind of go back and forth between one nostril and the other. Like it forces you to slow down and be a bit more disciplined with that. So I think there's benefits to like that type of breath work, like that kind of pranayama that you can do maybe in a yoga practice where you can really slow down and like focus on the breath, the inhales, the exhales, like notice how it moves through your body. But then also if you're looking for maybe something that's more like energizing and you're a bit more experienced with breath work, you can move more into like the Wim Hof method. That's a great approach. It's important to know where you're at for the day. So in the sessions, like you start to like scan your body. So you start with like, all right, this is where I'm at today. I'm tired. Uh, I'm feeling, you know, cranky, fussy, whatever. I'm going to take do something that just kind of relaxes me and puts me in a better mood. So in that sense, you you start to know like today's a day for this, today's a day for that. Like there was months when I lived in New York and my yoga teacher was right around the corner at Chelsea Pierce where I didn't do any breath work. I just went to his class and we did enough pranayama in the class and we focused on our breathing enough. That was my breath practice. And then I go in the sauna and I'd breathe and I'd relax and I'd that was it, you know? So you go through ebbs and flows. Right. And you can find what works for you too. So something that I want to try more is actually having a more like dedicated breathwork practice, or at least maybe the first step for me would be to incorporate more pranayama like into my yoga because I do yoga anyways as it is. So might as well latch on a new habit onto a pre-existing one. So maybe I start with like trying more breath work in my yoga practice in addition to some meditation. So I think there's ways to make it sustainable for everyone. And, you know, I know we didn't touch on just the concept or the second pillar of Wim Hof, like actually submerging yourself into cold water. Something that I tried this summer was doing the ice bath, the sauna back and forth between the two. And I saw really amazing effects. Like I just felt less sore the next day from exercise and I felt really good in my body. And it, it's, it also teaches you when you're like submerging yourself in freezing cold water, like how to regulate your breath so as not to panic and feel like you need to get out. So I think there is still some sort of like overlap between just general breath work and like being in, in a cold environment. But I'd love for you to speak a little bit on the like benefits of actually being in ice baths and like in cold temperatures. Yeah, totally. And and it's a great point you bring up because the cold, any stress, any high stress, any acute high stress, um, cold exposure, you know, for me, jujitsu, it changes the way you breathe. So in order for you to, to sort of like reap or, or receive the benefits from a cold practice, you have to slow your breathing down. You have to calm your breathing down. How do you do that? You breathe through the nose, you extend your exhales. So once you get into that calm, slow breathing state, your body will start to relax. You're actually going to a, a deeply parasympathetic state. You know, it, it increases vagal tone. So your vagus nerve gets activated and stimulated in the cold, which also helps to calm your body and put your body into a deeply relaxed state. Oddly enough, because when you initially go into the cold, there's a boost of adrenaline. Your adrenaline, your norepinephrine, your noradrenaline spike when you immediately get into the cold. Your body says, <gasps> and your breathing does that. And then all of a sudden, you slow your breathing down. You extend your exhales, maybe you do a box breath, maybe you do the five in, five out in the cold, and that's when the real benefits start to kick in. So the benefits are a 250% increase in dopamine. And that's not just in that moment, it's sustained. There's also um, you know, a boost of anti-inflammatory proteins in the body. So you get this lowering of inflammation. You mentioned it when you were training in Bali, you were getting less sore by doing the cold. Your body responds to it by lowering inflammation. 
uh, there's also something called vasoconstriction that happens. So the blood flow goes from your hands and your feet. And you probably felt this when you're in Bali and you're in the cold, your hands and your feet start to hurt. Like that's the part that really hurts and the sensitivity is heightened there because all the blood flow, all the warm blood goes to your heart, your lungs, all your main organs to protect the hub. Your body knows what to do there. A lot of times when I lead people in workshops, private public workshops, I tell them, hey, you're going to go in here and you've never done this before. Your body knows what to do in here because our bodies have evolved over thousands of years. For thousands of years, we lived outside in the cold. Our bodies are capable of extreme temperatures. We just don't do it anymore because it's not convenient and it's not comfortable. However, we can do it. Everyone can do it. You just have to trust your body. The mindset piece goes here. You have to slow your breathing down. And then that warm blood will rush to your organs and protect your heart, your head, all these areas. And your hands and feet will be cold. But when you get out, all that warm blood will move back to the extremities. And that vasoconstriction is really good for your heart. Yeah, it's like the evolutionary adaptation. I mean, one of my friends, Aya, that I met during my teacher training when she started getting me into all the ice bath stuff, cause she would do it regularly. She, she said that when she is in those cold baths and she's sitting in there for maybe a minute, minute and a half, you know, nothing too long just to, you know, be in there. She said that it was so peaceful when she could really feel the warmth of her body. Like when you yeah. actually slow down and slow down your breathing and you settle in the discomfort, you find peace and you find comfort and you find that through actually feeling the warmth that's within you. And I thought that was just so beautiful and something that I, it really just struck, you know, it struck something within me and I held on to that saying for a while. And then when I started trying it out and it, you know, the first time I did, I was freaking out. I was like, this is too cold. Like I need to get out. And I really tried to remember what Aya said, like sit in there, slow your breathing. Don't look at the clock. Just tap into how your body is like operating in that moment. And then I started to feel this like rush of warmth, even though I knew my hands and feet were like literally about to fall off. I was so cold, but then I felt that beautiful warmth and it was, it was amazing. And then you get out and you go into the burning hot sauna and it feels like a warm hug. And it was like amazing. Yeah, honestly, it's the best. I, I, I recommend it to anyone. And and there's a reason why, all these different cultures from around the world have all been practicing this. You know, you go to the Nordic countries, Finland, Sweden, Norway, they do it there. You go to Japan, you go to Korea, all these different countries have their version of hot, cold therapy because it's a very healing practice and people have been doing it for thousands of years and our bodies crave a certain level of acute stress toxic day-to-day work stress isn't necessarily the best things for us, but these short bursts of acute stress with those large doses of dopamine are really good for us. So you sleep better those nights. That was something I noticed right away. I started sleeping better. Those cravings I had early on started to dissipate and my body started to find its natural rhythm again. And our bodies aren't designed for eight, nine hours on a day on screens, on the phones, on the couch. Our bodies aren't designed to binge every show that Netflix offers. Our bodies are actually designed to do sort of like these extreme things, but in short bursts. So that's why, you know, the Wim Hof method, I think in a lot of ways has taken off because here's this guy who's not like, you know, with a six pack ripped Instagram famous kind of guy. He's just a regular guy who's actually very accessible and very normal in a lot of ways. And he started doing these feats that thought that people thought were impossible. And why would I ever go in the cold? Why would I go in an ice bath? I mean, that's all I heard for the first six months I started doing this. And then I started, you know, just got deeper into the practice and then I ended up getting certified. And then, you know, I'm probably, I probably guided over a thousand people in ice baths to this point. And it's like most people I'd say, 90% have really amazing experiences in there yeah. and really I mean, enjoy the breath work. You'd be surprised like how much you can accomplish or how much you can experience if you just simply open your mind up to the idea. And I think something that's so special around like health, and I, I don't want to say health trends, but health practices, you know, let's say things that you can do to just boost your overall sense of satisfaction and well-being. It's enormous. Like the list continues on and on and on. And something that I find really interesting is just recognizing that health is not a one size fits all 
equation. Like there are different practices that work for different people. And I think it's all about finding what works for you and having that open mind and willingness to try and be adaptable and figure out like, you know, the recipe for your health because it's extends far beyond those foundations that of course are important, like having a good diet and getting proper sleep and exercise. Like those are the foundations and those are the fundamentals. And there's nuance within that, of course, like there's things that you can try within that, that uh, can help boost your, your health. But beyond that, there's so much you can do to help your mind. (laughs) And because when you can help your mind, you can help your body and vice versa. So on that train of thought, one question that I have for you, and it's a question that I ask and I end every interview with is what is something that brings you a bit of endorphins every day? Um, right now it's being a dad. I mean, it's being, it's having, it's having an 18 month old baby that says Papa. And when I finish my sessions in the morning and I go upstairs and she hears the door open and she goes, Papa. And she like barrels down the corner of the kitchen and, you know, falls. And you know, that, that always kind of lights me up. And like, actually it's like when I finish that last morning session, you know, as you know, like most of my sessions, like I'm up at 5am. So I go from like 5 a.m., 5.30 a.m. with all my East Coast clients to like 7.38, sometimes 9 a.m. And then I finish 9 a.m. and I close my laptop and I go upstairs and I take my like three-hour break. And she's always like super excited to see me. And that that definitely gives me my boost of endorphins. Um, and it's it's not like nothing else I've really ever experienced. So it's pretty amazing. It's unreal. There's no real ways to like describe it. I can't relate because I don't have a child, but I can imagine. I mean, it's that's another thing. Like that phase in our lives, you know, if if my listener, whoever's listening, like if you decide to have a kid at that point in your life and you decide you want to be a parent, that I think just brings a whole new meaning and purpose to your life. Like when you become that teacher and you have offspring and you have like mini yous running around. I I can only imagine like how beautiful of an experience that is. Yeah. And for the non, the non-parent listeners, it's jujitsu. Like right (laughs) now, jujitsu is like the thing. I, uh, I love it. It's, it's one of the hardest endeavors I've ever come to. And, and it's, it's putting myself into like high level stress every time I walk in that place, but I almost never leave without a smile on my face and, um, really, I think I learn a lot about myself in, in, in that level of stress. And I think we all do. I think it's a way for you to tap into that zone that you don't think you, you should operate under all the time and you shouldn't, but you, when you get into it and you're so focused and you're just, it's, it's the only thing that matters in that moment. And I think the more we can have those kinds of activities where I'm not looking at my phone for an hour and a half during that period of time. I don't even care what email came in or what email didn't come in. If I got this client or this client didn't come through, like it's only what matters in that present moment. And um, it's pretty amazing though. uh, You know, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely a a long, it's a long journey. It's, It's nothing that I ever feel like I'll ever have figured out. Right. I mean, that's beautifully said Avi and, some food for thought to land on here because, you know, we often think of stress as the devil. And I definitely agree that like toxic stress is bad for us. Like there's just so much unnecessary stress and noise in modern life right now that is very detrimental to our health. But I love thinking about this idea around like acute stress actually propelling us forward and like fueling us and actually bringing greater health uh, in a way. It, in, in a way, it can seem kind of counterintuitive, but when you really understand the definition of acute stress and like what that looks like in practice, I can totally see how it uh, can can really bolster our health and how it's actually completely different than the stress that we deal with every day that's toxic to our lives. So thank you for sharing that. I think it gives you know me a lot to think about, hopefully my listeners as well. And it's just been such a pleasure having you as a guest on the podcast. Where can my listeners find you, follow you on social media, all the links? Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at avilu, A-V-I-L-U. I post a lot about upcoming retreats and workshops on there. And then my website is avigreenberg.com, A-V-I-G-R-E-E-N-B-E-R-G.com. Um, and you can always reach out to me there if you have questions on breathwork, Wim Hof method, you know, workshops, retreats, anything, anything really. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of 
an open book these days too, as well. If people want to just have a conversation that are interested in any of these practices, I've actually gotten a lot of interest lately in people that want to get breathwork certified or Wim Hof certified. So, you know, talking to, to, you know, people that are interested in maybe changing their career path and figuring out what, what could be, you know, behind that door of, of becoming a, a breathwork guide or instructor or Wim Hof instructor. And I think it's cool. I think it's really interesting that a lot of people are, are gravitating towards these practices now and finding their true identities within those practices. And they want to share that with their loved ones and strangers and, and everyone. Absolutely. Maybe that could be an episode part two, changing your career path. <laughs> what goes into it and what are you going to get out of it? Hey, listen, I, you that's like my favorite conversation. You know that. So uh, anytime, Stella, really, it was a pleasure. It was an honor to do this with you. And I definitely hope we do another breathing session soon. And uh, yeah, anytime you want to continue this conversation, I'm in. Thank you so much, Avi. This was awesome. Thank you for listening and remember to like, rate, and review this podcast on whichever listening platform you prefer. Don't forget to keep spreading endorphins and find things that bring you endorphins every day. See you next time.